listening to the Citizens Church podcast. Citizens Church exists to saturate Bryan College Station, Texas with the good news and love of Jesus. To learn more about Citizens Church, visit us online at citizensbcs.com. Today's message is from Kevin Still. My name is Kevin Still, and um, I've spoken with you a few times on Zoom, but never in person. Um, This is what I look like from top to bottom, not just in the square. I'm sorry about that. Um, Many of you do know me. I know that all of you know my wife, Latanya. That's her over there. Uh, She's wonderful. She listens to an amazing amount of Bethel worship music. Um, I, on the other hand, my favorite album, one of my favorite albums of the year is by a death metal band called Bedsore. So somewhere between Bethel and Bedsore, we balance out in a good equation. And I'm actually kind of telling you that because I'm going to be talking a little bit about Bethel and a little bit about Bedsore today, because, uh, or Bedsores, because I'm talking about hope. And you can't talk about hope without a little bit of disappointment and a little bit of despair. Um, so there's that. Uh, so here's how I'm going to do this. I'm going to come over here and I'm going to talk a little bit about David, the psalmist, uh, and then I'm going to come over here and I'm going to talk a little bit about science and I'm going to come back here in the middle and I'm going to try to tie it all together. Is that going to be okay? All right. I really hope this works. And if it doesn't, just smile and nod. Okay. I'm an only child. I'm fragile. Okay. Advent, typically, we don't start with David. We like to go to Isaiah. I'm going to go with David, though, okay? And I want to talk about David as the psalmist. Um, Why David? Two reasons. One, um, David was an image of the Messianic king to come, and he was uh, a a, a great promise. Um, And also, the second reason I want to talk about David is because David teaches us a great deal about praying in hope uh, and teaches us a great deal about praying in lament. Uh, David is a fabulous teacher when it comes to prayer, and that's the thing I want to talk about just a little bit more in a moment, all right? So we have an interesting story in David and some of the ways that he kind of uh, gives us an image of the king to come. He was uh, very unassuming and he was, um, he was very unassuming, and he was probably not what people would have considered king material, and yet he rose up and united the tribes of Judah, um, or the tribes of Israel, sorry, and he uh, obviously had a very big downfall. Uh, but because of who David was, he was actually a man after God's own heart, which is, again, something I want to echo in just a moment. So I'm just kind of setting up David is where we're going to go in a moment. All right, so I want to say a few things about science. I'm an English teacher, uh, and now to say an English teacher and then science, it doesn't seem to go together, but there's something that I like to talk to my students about, and it's very pertinent to talking about hope today and to talking about David. I like to start my semester with this lecture that I'm going to try to make like very small and concise. In the lecture I like to give at the very, very beginning of the semester, I have titled Reading is Not Natural, and I start the semester talking about how reading is not natural because a lot of people don't like to read. And what I actually mean by that is that there's zero part of your mind that is designed to read. We don't have any part in our brain that is a reading center, okay? 
So our brains are designed to take in information in particular fashions. When we are first born, the most immediate way that we take in information is audibly. Okay, this is how we most, uh, this is how we initially gain language is audibly. We gain it through uh, hearing people talk to us. When we see babies, we talk to them very slowly. We enunciate. You know, why do we do that? It's because they're fragile and they're stupid and we're trying to give them words, right? And so they're gaining the language through their ears. Also, in a little while, their eyes start to take in information as well. We are designed to take in information visually. Now, at some point, there's other parts of the brain that are responsible for memory and for uh, what we would even call like deep structure and grammar and all of that. They start to put together that, hold on a second, the things that I'm hearing and the things that I'm seeing match up and they have names. And then eventually we even get to this point where we can see that visual symbols that are written in the world have sound symbols and we start to put those together and we read, right? Now, this is a very complicated process. And over time, people have taught themselves to combine the parts of the mind that see and the parts of the mind that hear, and they've rewired the brain to be able to do this thing that we call reading. Now, reading can come in a lot of different fashions. Reading can come in the traditional fashion that we think of by looking at words on paper and getting meaning out of them. But reading can also come in, we read body language, we read the moment, we read the circumstances in front of us. There's a lot of different ways to read where we take in information, we process it, and we attribute some level of meaning to it, okay? So we are designed to take in information, and then over time, we build connections that allow us to create meaning out of it. The mind is extremely malleable. If you want more information on this, there's a fantastic book by a lady named Marianne Wolf called Proust and the Squid. It's fabulous. Um, Nicholas Carr is also one of our great uh, uh, teachers of the mind who kind of talks about the malleability of the mind and how we can shape our mind to do whatever it is that we want it to do. I am an Englishy kind of person. I'm a words kind of person. But if I really wanted to, over a course of time, I could train myself to think more mathematically and about numbers if I so desired to, right? Whatever, when I decide I want to put my mind to doing something, I can actually change it. Okay, and I can make it move and operate in particular ways, even if it doesn't naturally have a proclivity towards that. Okay, now I wanted to start with David over here. David is such a central figure in our scriptures uh, for multiple reasons, and I wanted to talk about the mind over here. Okay, we are designed to take in information, we are designed to look at the world around us and to see it for what it is. We are not designed to ignore those things. And when we look at the world around us, and when we try to numb ourselves to it, and we try to medicate ourselves to it, and we try to shut that thing off, we are acting opposite to the way that we were designed because we are actually designed to take in information and we are designed to decide what to do with that information and what meaning we will ascribe to it. That's part of our design. And when we look at the life of David, we see 
somebody who never shirked from the moment. He was honest about the moment that he stood in. And he was willing to name the moment that he stood in for exactly what it was. And he was able to look at the moment and see the facts for what they were and then to proclaim the goodness of God. So there's this wonderful thing that David does, and it's one of the things that I, I like to point to uh, to my students. He was, the, he was the excellent user of the but, all right? And we know that but means that things are going one way, and when you bring in but, it means things go the opposite direction, correct? So when, I, when we're reading in my classes and we come to the word but in the this, in, in this sentence, I always say we have to read the word as but, because things are about to change. And David was fantastic at looking at the moment and saying, here's the facts in front of me, but God, right? And so um, what I want us to actually look at is um, something in the Psalms that is interesting about David. There's uh, 150 Psalms. David is responsible for uh, uh, almost half of those. And um, you can, most Bibles will actually give you some kind of a uh, little uh, label at the front of a psalm to tell you it's actually one of the psalms of David. Now, there's a lot of psalms by David, 73 of them. And I could pick any of them uh, to look at today, but I'm just going to go to the very first one in the scriptures that's attributed to David, and that is Psalm chapter 3. And I want us to look at an example of David This wonderful example of a man after God's own heart. And I want us to look at an example of David kind of casting his eyes out and seeing the trouble and proclaiming the goodness of God. Now, Psalm 1 and 2 are kind of these anonymous introductions to the book of Psalms. Um, They speak to the man who uh, entrenches himself in the truth. They speak of the king to come. And then David walks in in Psalm chapter 3. And there's something interesting chronologically about this Psalm chapter 3 because my introduction here says a Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. So we actually have the very first Psalm attributed to David coming late in his life. This is after he has kind of fallen from grace. Um, He has had a a, a terrible uh, sin in his life. He has fallen before the Lord in repentance. And this is the second time in David's life that he is on the run. And if we look back at the story of David back in uh, Samuel, we will see that David was um, previously in his life on the run. But he was on the run as an innocent man. Saul, who was king at that time uh, in David's earlier life, um, brought David in to be kind of one of his head honchos. Saul was very jealous of David, and there was uh, a season where Saul wanted to kill David. David was on the run as an innocent man, and we have some of those prayers in the scriptures where David is kind of on the run, and he knows, I'm in trouble. Uh, Now David is not so much the innocent man. He has sinned. He's on the run again, and this is what he says as he looks out on the horizon. He says, O Lord... Sorry, 
My pages are falling apart here. He says, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O God, for, your, uh, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Selah. As I was just saying, we are definitely designed to take in the moment and to see the information for what it is and to not shirk at it. We see David crouched and looking and seeing there, there are people coming to take my life. How will I respond to that? This is a great moment for despair for David if he so desires, and yet he says, no, there is a God who will save me. And in this prayer, we see both faith and hope, all right? Let me turn back because my pages are turning. Did the candles take? No. We have the faith of David coming across when he admits, he's, he names the moment for what it is. Here's what's happening. And then he says, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. Notice that this is the faith of David. I know who God is. He's with me here in this moment. This is the faith of David that is astounding. So where do we see the hope of David? We see the hope of David actually in verse 5. In verse 5, he says, I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. This is the hope. God is with me today, and God's going to be with me tomorrow. Right? That's the, that's the hope. Faith is that God is with me in this moment. The hope is that he's going to be here again tomorrow. We see this same sentiment echoed again in Psalm chapter 4. He says uh, in Psalm 4, 8, In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, Make me dwell in safety. I love that we get to see the two coupled together. The faith of David coupled next to the hope of David because this, uh, and, uh, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that there is faith and hope and love. He does say the greatest of these is love, as if love is a thing that boosts up and, and, and gives um, structure to our faith and our hope. They can't go without each other, right? They cannot go without each other. They are, they are all together. And so when we look at the, uh, the life of David and we read the Psalms, and this is really kind of the homework that I want to give you over our Advent season and, and over um, as we close out a very precarious year, as um, Mish pointed out to us, is to start looking at the Psalms of David as an instruction in how to pray. Because what we see in the Psalms of David is uh, the faith of, of this is who God is, the hope of this is who God will be, but we also see the love that David has for not only 
this God before the scriptures. We see God's love for, I mean, we see David's love for the promises of the Lord and for the law of the Lord. Something interesting is that in Galatians, we are told about the fruits of the Spirit. Love and faith are fruits of the Spirit. Those are things that we can just ask for liberally. We can snack on all day. We can ask the Holy Spirit to uh, increase our love. We can ask the Holy Spirit to increase our faith. One of the things that we see in the fruits of the Spirit, the hope is not mentioned there. But we have in the fruits of the Spirit, the recipe for hope. Because we have in the fruits of the Spirit, such things as patience, such things as self-control such things as gentleness and kindness. Now, how are these the things that build hope in us? David is a great example of how to love the Lord, to love the scriptures, to love the promises of God. And so I believe that one of the ways that we can increase our love for the Lord is to ask the Lord as we are reading the scriptures to increase our love for him. Worship is one of the ways that we can do that. Gratitude that we spoke about last week is one of the ways that we can increase our love uh, for the Lord. Faith, hope, and love, they go together. Our faith comes through prayer. We hear that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? How do we first initially begin to take in our language? We take it in audibly. We hear the word of God. We hear the promises. We tell our stories to one another. We uh, consistently call back to ourselves the ways that the Lord has been there. So what about hope? How do we practice hope? What is the recipe for hope? I'm going to turn over into Romans chapter 5, verse starting at verse 3. Well, let's just start at the beginning of chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Here we go. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. I love the fruits of the Spirit because I love that we have the recipe for hope. We have the patience that helps with perseverance. We have the self-control that means that I don't have to panic in this moment. I have the gentleness and kindness from the Holy Spirit to be gentle and kind with myself when I realize I don't know how to handle the moment that I'm standing in right now. I can have the gentleness and the kindness Uh, to extend to the people who are near me who may not be holding the moment as well as I need them to, right? I have in the fruits of the Spirit the recipe for hope to help me persevere and to help me to endure. And then I also have the example of the saints in the Scriptures. Particularly, I have the example of David praying for the God who will be there tomorrow morning, right? I think that um, obviously uh, 2020 has been, as I said, a precarious year. 
It is a very good time to ask ourselves, what have we had our hope in? What is our hope actually about? Is it in a particular uh, vision, a particular moment that we have cast before us that if this thing can just happen, I will be okay. Everything will be okay. Or is our hope in um, the unseen promise of the God who will be there tomorrow to hold us? Now, hope is a precarious thing. It is a strange thing because it does actually mean I don't know exactly what it's going to look like on the other end. Faith says he's here with me today. Hope says he will be with me there tomorrow in some way that I may not even fully understand right now, that I don't even know how to name it yet, that I don't even know how to picture and set before myself, that maybe the only picture that I actually have of hope is just the name of Jesus right now. That may be all that I have, right? That may be the only hope that I have for the future is just this name. Um, I've been thinking too, just since Ben asked me to talk about hope, I, I, couldn't stop, I couldn't stop thinking over the past couple of weeks about disappointment and about despair. And I've been thinking about how um, there are probably several of us, we could pass a microphone around and share stories of great disappointment, stories of great despair. Uh, when we needed hope and when we needed uh, faith to shine through. Um, and it's easy to probably uh, suggest that um, I'm speaking about hope from some uh, wonderful place of privilege. And actually, I am. I am speaking of hope from a wonderful place of privilege. Um, just to be able to stand here in front of you today and talk so openly about the promises of God and the promises of the scripture uh, is such a great privilege. To be able to stand here and to hope so greatly in our King is, is such a phenomenal uh, privilege. It's also wonderful to be able to stand in front of you today. I'm not in a place of great suffering. I have known suffering in the past. As a teenager, I walked through cancer. Uh, my wife and I have walked through infertility. I have walked through addiction. There has been suffering in my life that the Lord has brought me through. And I'm grateful for that testimony and for those stories. Um, but as I've been thinking about disappointment, I've been thinking about despair, I've been thinking that um, it's sometimes wonderful to read the stories of people who have endured and who have looked into um, a glorious future that maybe they did not know. Um, this is actually... Um, where being an English uh, major and an English teacher is a lot of fun is because there's so many great stories that we can look to about, um, about hope. So if you are looking to stories of hope, I can definitely call your attention back to um, the stories of our Jewish brothers and sisters who made it through the concentration camps, Corey Tim Boone, was one of the great writers of that time. Um, Victor Frankl, who wrote Man's Search for Meaning. Fantastic. We have stories from uh, the Armenian genocide. Uh, Peter um, Balakian, who has given us the great story of his family who endured through the Armenian genocide. We have the stories of the Russians who made it through the gulags, who held on through faith 
Um, we have the stories of the settlers in America who tried to do things right, who tried to move out west and tried to settle into our country. I love Steinbeck. I love Willa Cather. We also have the story of the African Americans who have endured uh, so greatly in our country through slavery. And actually, it's to one of these uh, writers that I want to turn my attention. Um, there is, I just want to kind of close with this uh, poem from one of the great writers uh, of the 1800s. This is from Paul Lawrence Dunbar. And he's written a poem called Sympathy that has an image of hope in it that actually came back. And and you you will recognize one of the lines from this. Um, And I'm just going to read the third uh, stanza of Sympathy. Paul Lawrence Dunbar wrote, this began back in the 1800s, I know... Why the caged bird sings, ah me. When his wing is bruised and his bosom sore, when he beats his bars and would be free, it is not the carol of joy or glee, but a prayer that he sends from his heart's deep core, but a plea that upwards to heaven he flings. I know why the caged bird sings. Obviously, this is, uh, you probably recognize some, uh, one of the lines from this as being the title of Maya Angelou's uh, memoir and autobiography back in the 1970s. She borrowed this, uh, this title, and in it, she tells the story of growing up in the South uh, in actually Stamps, Arkansas, near where I grew up, the racism that she endured there, but also the abuse that she endured there, and the abuse that not only she had to endure, but that for many, many years of her life stole her vocal voice. She was mute from the abuse that she um, endured from family. And in these stories, we see that there are people who were able to look at the moment, to record the moment, to see the events around them, harrowing events, and to say, even though I will not allow this thing inside of me to go silent, right? Even though I will not allow the bird inside of me to go silent, right? Because it is despair to just lay down and sleep. That is despair. When I just have to cancel it all out and ignore it all and say, this thing, I'm going to Netflix it away. I'm going to alcohol it away. I'm going to medicate it away so that this is not what I have to think about. But it is hope that says, I see what's on the horizon. I see the truth of the moment. And not only can I lay down, I can wake up in the morning and I can face it again because there is a God who is going to be there to help me. That is the hope that we stand in, right? We don't stand in the despair and we don't stand in the naivety that says I have to cancel it out or look away. We can look directly in it and say alongside David, but God. Thanks for joining us today for the message. We hope it was encouraging to you. To learn more about Citizens Church, including gathering times and locations, or to give financial support, please visit citizensbcs.com. And again, thanks for listening to the Citizens Church podcast.